BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and my guests today are the bad luck pennies you want to find. They're a motherfucking mountain, and they get their piece in Armageddon. Welcome to the show. Returning guest, Toby Poser, John Adams. Thank you. And a warm welcome to their daughters, Zelda and Lulu. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> Thank Hello. you. It's so nice to be back, with you, my friend. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm just recalling my memories of uh, you. You two were in your car when I spoke to you the first time. Yes, <laughs> we were. We were in a car outside of the lumberyard. I remember it well because it was the first interview we did, and we got off of it, and we was like, "That was awesome." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was a great memory that I'll never forget. Right then. What I did want to add, though, is arguably the hardest working family in horror genre today. You surprised and wowed audiences at every genre festival across the globe with your fifth film you made together, The Supernatural Murder Mystery at The Deep You Dig. And now you're back with your sixth film, I think it is, together, is it? Is that right? Yep. Hellbender, Hellbender which I'm, I'm, I'm going to say is a folky horror, which is coming of age film set in contemporary America. Sounds good. I'll buy into that. You'll buy into that. Okay. And I tried to I tried to think, well, what else could I say that's a bit more? And I and, and I couldn't beat what Anton Bedell had already done in his review. So if you just if you just bear with me, I want to read for the benefit of the audience. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the full review that Anton did, because I think it's a fantastic description. So Hellbender is sweet until it isn't, and always smart with hallucinatory realizations of natural magic offset by sometimes draw-dropping moments of domestic heaven and hell. Meanwhile, the suggestion remains that a loving, creative family like the Adams, no matter how radically its members may change through time, can still play together. It rocks. Holy, oh, who wow. wrote that? That's the best. Who that wrote that? Anton. He's, he's, just, he's just 
gold. We're always like <laughs> stealing everything he says. <laughs> the man, the man has Thank a way you. with words, does he not? Uh, he's he genius. It's so funny because, like, when we first finished Hellbender, we were like, "Oh man, we really need Anton to write about this so we can figure out what the hell we just did." <laughs> <laughs> he has that. He has that special skill. Well. This being your new film then, so Hellbender is available on Shudder on my dad's 76th birthday, which for everybody else is Thursday the 24th of February. Is that right? That's right. So there'll be two celebrations going on in my house. Oh. So congratulations on your new film. I loved it. It was uh, right up my street. I've j- I have literally written a folk horror myself, so I was quite. it was quite nice to see some of the, that sort of similar references of you know, your use of nature and all that kind of thing. Thank you so much. We're obviously remote from each other and there are four of you and one of me. So I asked you to give me a a sort of heading each so that I could make sure that the four of you get to be at least the centre of the conversation for one one aspect of it. And I I sort of co-opted that into... I have a format called Five Times Five Minutes where somebody comes on and they pick a subject or pick a genre and each subject is five minutes ago. So what we're going to do is with your list is spend five minutes on each of them. And when the dog barks, we'll stop and we'll move on to the next one. Does that seem like a fair a fair game to play? Sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, Lulu, you're first in the list. So <laughs> you're first to go on the thing. Is that? Are you ready for this? As ready as I can be. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I mean, it's, all, it's it was your film, so hopefully your memories of it are better than mine because I wasn't there. <laughs> Perfect. So all, for the benefit of the listener, all, all four of you gave me a sort of favourite memory or lasting memory of the shoot for Hellbender. So starting with you, Lulu, we've got, I've got the banquet table stroke surfboard. Do you want to expand on that for me? <laughs> Absolutely. So... Um, we were all doing distance when we were filming during the pandemic. They shot mostly up in the Catskills and I was living in um, Oregon teaching. But because of the pandemic and Zelda school was online, they were able to drive across country in a trailer and truck they just bought and met me as they filmed across across, across the country. They met me in Oregon and we filmed along the Oregon and the uh, Washington coast. And so we were doing distance at the time. And we were doing things like camping outside. Like I would camp outside in their trailer and we'd all have dinners in between our ways. They dropped me off hot chocolates outside my car window and such. And we just made fun of it. But one of the most chaotic, but beautifully funny memory was we were shooting on the Washington coast. We were shooting this shot of me on a table, a kind of horror dream that you might remember. And the, we were shooting along the ocean and there along the coast, you know, the water really expands far down. And so you have this long coastline and the water just slowly comes out, but not this time. So I was there in freezing in about, I think, was it November, December? There in a little rinky-dinky bikini lying on this table, sliced apart and a wave comes out of nowhere, a sneaker wave and just blows under me. And everybody else ran, and I'm lying there like, ah, I can't see shit. Can't move either. We're gonna lose the shot. And so I'm lying on this cheap, ringy-dingy little table, <laughs> freezing cold, the wind rushing, and there's just a wave flowing underneath me, trying to pick me up on this table. And I'm just 
holding on for dear life, trying to hold the spot for the next shot. <laughs> hold on a second. Who's, who, who's saying we're going to get, we're not going to get the shot? Is that you saying get the shot? <laughs> yeah, I was saying get the shot. I was lying there fucking kidding. I didn't want to do it again. It was cold. <laughs> but it was great. I mean, everybody was laughing and it was even better because I felt like half people were laughing at me just lying there. It looks so ridiculous. And there were people around the neighborhood walking their dogs, seeing all of us in our insane outfits and filming this girl cut up on the table in her bikini in November or December in the winter. And then they all get to see me get caught by a wave. And I think someone even came up to John and like asked him, aren't you too old to be doing this? Yeah, that was, a, that was that somebody did. But during that day when Lulu almost got swept out to sea, I mean, literally, you know, we were on this very wide beach. And when that wave came up, she was just covered in white water. And we had all ran. Everybody ran. We grabbed our, our camera equipment. We grabbed the audio equipment. The three of us all ran. But Lulu was stuck on the table in the bikini. And Toby looks at me as we're standing up in the grassy dunes looking down at her. And she's like, boy, I'm glad she's a surfer. <laughs> Yeah, because the bottom of the table had sunk into the wet sand, you know, it gets so heavy. And so for some reason, the table didn't move this way. It was just set like concrete into this water. But but we were sure that it was going to take her and you know, blow her, you know, float, float her away. Oh, I know why it sank. I was pressing all my body into that saying, don't fucking move. <laughs> so it begs the question about about. You're obviously shooting in public, aren't you? Then if people are just passing by and so so how do you find that as like, you know, how do you pick and choose your moments? I mean, obviously nature has a go at you sometimes, but obviously shooting in the public, how, how do you find that as an as as a way of making the movie? Well, you know, we were really lucky and kind of took advantage of the pandemic because we were able to shoot in these massive scenic places where someone probably would want to film Twilight or something. Hmm. And we had them pretty much all to ourselves, except for a lot of kind of couples and people who were living in their retired neighborhoods that would come and walk their dogs. Got you. So it was mostly people who were just trying to have a calm time and we probably disturbed them <laughs> by saying what we were filming. Yeah. But for the most part, there were not many people around at all that we could shoot in these massively scenic places where usually you would have tons of words. And how do you explain the sort of, uh, obviously you're using visual effects of fake blood and stuff. And what do, how, how do you explain that away then? I feel like half the time we didn't even explain it. We just let people think we were fucking crazy. That's the best <laughs> way. That way you often don't need a permit if they're like, they're fucking crazy. I think I would avoid those people down there. Like that, that just helps with a lot of, you don't have to have a lot of conversations. You don't deal with, you know. Right then, kiddies, that's our first five minutes. Zelda, you're up. So, Zelda, you gave me the drone's first perilous day. Do you want to tell me more about that? Oh, yeah. All right. So we just finished our last movie, The Deeper You Dig, and it I think it was super visually stunning. Um, one of the things, though, is that it was really static because uh, the only like equipment we had was our camera and a tripod. And one of my favorite things as a filmmaker is movement. I love movement in films. So... I wanted to bring more movement into our next film, Hellbender. Uh, we got a drone. We got a Mavic Air 2. And uh, John and Toby were like, all right, it's all up to you, Z, to learn how to use the drone if you're going to want movement in this. So I kind of took on the role of being drone operator and the pressure of controlling that crazy thing. Uh, and it was fun. And so we decided to go out and shoot with it our first day. 
we were hiking in like up near Woodstock in like this, it was called like the devil's kitchen or something. What was it called? Like the devil's bowl. <laughs> and I think it was Hell's Kitchen or, Hell, or Hell's Notch, Devil's Notch. Yeah. yeah. So we were in a pretty um, steep place and um, I was acting in front of the drone and controlling it at the same time, which is not something very easy to do. And I got the shot and everything and I was feeling extra confident, like, wow, I'm a, I'm a fucking amazing drone operator. I, I can do anything. And I'm like, all right, I got the shot. I start bringing it back. I get a little too overconfident and like shoot the arrow the wrong way because like it's like when you play video games, like there's like yeah, yeah, knobs yeah. that control it. And I do it the wrong way and it rams into this tree that's protruding out from the cliff and it almost like <laughs> falls, but it gets stuck between like, the cliff and the tree that's coming out of the cliff. So how, how like, high up are we there, Zelda, then? How high is it stuck in the air, then? Jesus Christ. Were we, like, 200, like, like 500 feet up in the air, like, from yes. the cliff? So it's out of reach, then? Oh, but the tree, the tree coming from the cliff is, like, maybe three feet, two feet. So I'm in shock. I, I thought I just lost, like, thousands of dollars from this drone. So... I can't move. So John's like, all right, don't touch anything. I'm going to go grab it. And like, he goes to the edge of the cliff and reaches down to grab this drone that's like perfectly stuck. If it didn't get like lobbed between the tree and the cliff, it would have been gone and demolished and lost forever. And <laughs> it's lucky that John didn't fall off the cliff trying to go and get the drone, honestly. <laughs> Quick, get a shot. <laughs> <laughs> We can use this in our movie. <laughs> uh, you want us to? <laughs> so, given given you've given you've now you've you've now maybe mastered the drone, uh, having done the film, what would you what would you, what would be your advice to what would be your advice to people picking up the drone for the first time? What what could apart from obviously avoid cliffs? Uh, I guess don't get overconfident on the first day of using your drone. You don't know it as well as you think you do. Um, and pay close attention to the tiny movements that you're doing with your fingers because it's easy for that thing to go the wrong direction. And what what do you think? What do you think it gave you? I mean, you, you mentioned that there was maybe co comments on on the first film being being a static film. So, what did it give you then that you you were able to to do then? What can you speak to a specific scene maybe? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of the visions, the like psychedelic visions in Hellbender. Um, are really added onto because of the drone. Mm. The drone adds like an extra eye that, you know, the audience isn't really used to. Um, we, we make use of a lot of totems in the film mm. and we use the drone for all those shots, like when, you, when we're raising the, the totem up. Mm. And I think it's just really beautiful and spiritual. Um, and also just really cinematic for simple shots that we wouldn't have been able to get otherwise, like shots of the car driving in the forest and down the road. Mm. No, it's, it, it does add an immersive level to, to the yeah. film watching because you're, because you give us, you give us obviously the characters, what they're doing. Then you, then we become their eyesight almost. Right. And it's, this is a movie that deals a lot with nature and it's great being able to see nature from a new angle because of that drone. Mm. And isolation. Yes. So it really, you can't see anything but a tree or river in sight. 
Yeah, because you 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 use a lot of the broad landscape, don't you? As well, you get you get the big vistas as well as the close up. Right. Yeah. There's the dog. Five minutes are up. <laughs> right then, John, you're next up on the uh, to to face the pitchers ball. You, we're going back to the West Coast. We've got storms on Mount Washington. Actually, yeah, it was in the White Mountains. And um, this was early. This was the, it's, it's the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were in New Hampshire. It was early on in the movie. And one of the things that we had decided early on was we wanted to show the, the like the, mytholo- the mythological visions of these hellbenders. And we figured the best way to dress them for all those visions was in like dark sheets. So early on in the movie, we always kept these dark sheets in our car so that anytime there was a, a nature represented itself in the way that we thought would work well with the movie, we'd put them in the dark sheets and we'd go film. So on this particular day, we were in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and way up high. And we decided, hey, the vistas were just gorgeous. And so we thought, um, let's take a hike down onto these vistas that we could see from the trailhead. And we'll bring all of our equipment and maybe we'll get something. Who knows? We didn't know what we were going to do. But we, as we started to walk, a squall of a storm started to arrive. And we were about two miles in and it was the afternoon. It was probably getting towards five o'clock. Light was beautiful. Storm starts rolling in. It starts snowing. And this is like probably in October. And I'm like, oh, my God, we have got to film this. So let's put on all of our stuff. And the girls put on their their dark sheets and we we set them apart, you know, like in this really beautiful way on these these mountain backs that were filled with these great rocks. But this storm was pretty intense (laughs) And, and the darkness came. But we were just falling in love with this scene. So we just kept going all the way until darkness. And at that point, there was some snow cover on the ground. We were really cold and we were a solid three miles out from our car up on this mountain. And so darkness fell, we wrap it up. It was like, wow, that was amazing. And then it was like, you know what? We have three miles to hike. It's freezing cold. Uphill, right? <laughs> we were down this <laughs> Thank icy, you, Zelda. On these icy rocks, because the snow had just covered everything that we had walked down in a safe manner. Now we were walking back in the dark, and nobody had a flashlight. So all we had was our cell phones that were all low on batteries. And we hiked out. It took us about, it must have took us three hours in the dark to get back to our car. And we were up in these mountains that now had snow cover on them. And when we got to the bottom of this road to get out, we were locked in because they had closed the gates because of the storm. (laughs) And so it was like about nine at night, we're locked into on this road by by a snow gate. And we're like, all right, this is this is madness. What's going to happen? And a ranger shows up. And then we thought, okay, now we're going to be like in a lot of trouble (laughs) because whenever a ranger shows up, you're always in trouble, especially if you're in the Adams family. But this ranger was actually pretty cool. He was like, wow, I don't know how you guys made it down. 
And we were like, yeah, we don't know how we made it down either. And he's like, well, you're really lucky. I was just leaving the bar and I passed and I saw your headlights. So I have a key. I'm going to let you guys out. And he let us out. And he was, remember that Z? He was so cool. We couldn't believe it. We drove away like thinking like, oh my God, we just avoided like a thousand dollar ticket. And the guy was actually really nice. So he must have had a sweet time at that bar. (laughs) And it was like, it was my best time I've ever had with a ranger. Right? You guys, you guys know that me and police and yeah. rangers rarely have a good outing. <laughs> I think your example, though, speaks to maybe the nature of your filmmaking. The fact you describe it as we were always ready if we had the scene we could shoot. So do you want to talk about something to, to do? Because obviously a lot of filmmakers will talk to me about storyboards and, you know, the call sheet and all that. But you've just said we saw that we liked the look of it. So we got the sheets out and went and filmed there. Yeah, I think that's really important to our style of filmmaking is trying to keep up with our fifth actress nature. And we are very lucky that we don't have people breathing down our necks telling us what our schedule is because we can work with nature however she wants to work with us. And if we can just keep up with her and try to capture her mood and what she's giving us that day, she really adds so many wonderful elements to our films. Mm. Um, because she is just so magnificent. And like that particular scene is like, is where the two witches, oh, that's a dog barking. You can finish your thought, finish your thought. It's not the law. No, basically it's just that nature really informs our movies and we just try to keep up with her. Hmm. No, that's really, I think it's, it's, it's really, I think it's a really interesting way of looking at it. And it, and, and the fact you prepared for it as much as anything else, it's not like you get caught out by it. You're like, you know, this is part of your process. So therefore you almost go out with the intention of not shooting, but you always can do if you need to, as it were. Absolutely. Right, Toby. We have you, fourth, the fourth wheel on this car, uh, and we're going to do Oregon and dodging what I didn't even know existed, fluorescent jellyfish. <laughs> well, this is a really great segue from what we were just talking about with nature. Um, so part of what we love about making films is um is the not besides creating something artistic together is we do tend to uh really explore our surroundings when and 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 making the film is as much fun as as uh i mean living through making the film is as much fun as making the film and so when we were out in the northwest um it was just so beautiful and there was and this was in many ways hellbender is a movie about a kind of magic Right. And and we also were trying to find the magic that's just hidden everywhere around us, particularly in, in nature. And so we were staying in this wonderful state park um, in Manzanita, Oregon, that we just kept going back to. You can only stay like 11 days and you got to go and then you can come back a day later. Um, and this beach was so wide and beautiful. It's on the rocky Oregon coast, but there's this big, sandy, wide beach and it gets really hard. So at night we would take our bikes out and we would ride on the beach at night. And when the moon was full, all these jellyfish had had floated in from the ocean and were and the beach was just pocked with them. But you've got this full moon and it's lighting up the jellyfish till they become fluorescent. They're like little moons themselves and like little like mine moons. And so as we're driving, riding our bikes on this hard beach in the moonlight, it felt like, oh, my God, this is magic. We're we're living the magic of 
you know, while we're making this film, we're actually living a kind of magic. And it, um, and it just, it's just one of my favorite memories. It's, it's kind of like, have you ever seen the Northern Lights? The Aurora Borealis? I've not been fortunate enough to see them, but I'm, I'm aware of them. It's a similar kind of thing where you, where you, where nature just smacks you on the head and says, Hey, you know, I'm going to throw you a bone. Try this on for size. And, and you just fall in love. You fall in love mm. with the people you're sharing that moment with. You're falling in love with nature. And so when I, that's one of my favorite moments of making this film because it was a kind of living magic that we as humans were allowed to experience. I completely concur on, on the nature front. I've been realizing looking back over my own work that I am I am really obsessed with the idea that nature doesn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, you know, we think we control it and we try our best to tame it even, but it just keeps on coming. And the more we 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 mess with it, the less the less it it doesn't respect us and we should respect it more. So I think that's where where like your ideas like you you've explored, like where where the horror can come out of it, because ultimately this ground that we're walking on has been around for millennia. And it is full of reality, unreality, you know, it's part of it. It's manifest destiny is not gonna wait for us to move out of the way, is it? Definitely. And and you know, that and that's why I think like we in Hellbender, we definitely want to show the brutality, the duality of new each mm. of nature, both the brutality and the gorgeousness. Mm. You know, because there are both, you have life and you have death, and they're both beautiful and they're both brutal. And also you just mentioned manifest destiny. That's the other theme that we really wanted to show. You just stated what really Hellbender is about to me is the lineage and the power of this young Hellbender is not going to stop. And it reaches way back into the past, like before you can remember, and it's going into the future and there is no stopping it. And that's what's really fun about the conflict of this mother and this daughter is the mother would love to slow down the manifest destiny of the hellbender mm. to enjoy her ch child, to try to be human, to do things that are completely against nature. Like she's trying to stop a hurricane and, and she's standing out there with a little fan trying to blow a hurricane back. And what's fun is that the young hellbender is, is, is he is, thrilled to jump up on the hurricane and ride it because she knows that it's beautiful in its, in its monstrosity, you know? And so like what you just said, I think is very true. And hopefully that's what we're capturing. Like one of the main themes of the movie Hellbender. No, without a doubt. I think, I, I think it's an important part of what, what I feel folk horror explores. That's what I think it's all about. It's like, like you said, People, people and, and beings or whatever it might be have been here long before we set foot on it. We're here for the blink of an eye. So just to diminish our importance even more, even though it's important to live your best life as well at the same time, it isn't, if you go on the lineage, then we are just a, we're just a blip. We're not, we're not important. We think we're important. Obviously that's, that's, that's the ego playing with us, but but really, when we when we step back from it, and like you do it beautifully, where you 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 have us in awe, looking down a valley at the still water, and then we're looking at a caterpillar, you know, and that and the, yeah. it's almost like a concertina on on what nature is. Like, look at it, look at it, you know. It's <laughs> you know, 
it's it just it, it's wonder never ceases. And obviously, like you say, you you see fluorescent jellyfish on the beach, and you just have to sort of stop and sort of doff your cap to nature and go. Do you know what? You're all right. You. Where did you get such a cool ride for uh, for Mum and Izzy? Yeah, the, you mean the '68 Mustang? Yeah, yeah, that is a beautiful car. <clears throat> That's the car that uh, the kids uh, grew up in. Um, that was actually. I gave myself that car. I went out and bought it in California and drove it home after I survived uh, cancer in 1994. I gave it to myself as, uh, hey, you're alive. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Drive, go get a hot rod <laughs> and drive it across the country. Wow, that's amazing. Because it is a beautiful, you know. It is. For, for, I mean, I'm guessing for you, for you, it's it's an iconic vehicle in just life. But for obviously living this side of the pond, it is. It's such a movie car because in, in its iconography, because they don't see them on the streets here. You know, it's not a car I'm ever going to see. You see less and less of them here even, but also I, it was important. It actually really did have a reason. I think we wanted to show that the mother had been like Izzy. Like she was a young kid that wanted a hot rod and wanted to go out and be in a band. And, you know, that that 68 Mustang represents so much to all of us. It represents smoking pot, drinking beer and being a badass. And it showed that the mother had done that herself. And, and I thought that that was fun, that she's still rolling around in this representation of her youth. It is true, also, though, that... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say on, like, a personal level, it is nice, though, that um, that car is going to live on forever in our movie now, though, because it is on its last legs. I don't know if it's even running anymore. So now it's always going to live in our movies, kind of like... All of our movies, we can look back and I can see myself six years old in our first film. And that's always going to live on forever, which is something beautiful, I think. And that Mustang is a hellbender. It's just like if you you can hear the gas coursing through that car, it's like you it's its blood. You can hear it just raging through the car and it smells so good. And the steering wheel feels so fluid in your hands and it's just like. Yeah. That's an apex predator. That's the original hellbender. It's a beast. <laughs> it, it is, is a total <laughs> apex predator. I think that's that may be why I scored Toby even. I took her out on one of our first dates with the Mustang, and you know I rolled up in that room. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. Probably a bit of a detail I've missed out here, thinking of what you've just out what your your response to that is that maybe we should tell the audience, like from in terms of making this film, let's just run through some of the headline credits. Who directed the film? The three of us, me, Toby, and Zelda. 
Right, okay. Who wrote the film? The three we of all us. all collectively write together, but Toby's the main writer. Like, we come up with the ideas all together, and then we all push it on Toby, and she puts it into written, perfect format. Who is the director of photography? Me and Z. We love doing the camera work. Who's on the edit? John is uh, the Johnny editor. Boy is. And you and I should and then I can just add you all star in the film as well. So when we talk about being a family film, that that it literally is a family film, but not in the sense of it's PG thirteen family film. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> and we were so we got to work with Lulu because you know she, we got to travel because of the pandemic. We were able to um, take half a year, over half a year, and travel the country and, and go shoot with Lulu in the Northwest. Yeah. But Stuart, what you just said is very funny because, you know, when people say, well, you know, like when we're out, when we used to be able to go out and people say, oh, so what do you do? And I say, oh, I make uh, movies with my family. And people always say, oh, like little YouTube kind of videos. And, and my response is always yes. <laughs> yep. We make little kind of happy little YouTube videos. You should check it out. <laughs> and then they watch it and they're like, oh, God, this is fucked up. <laughs> Our last one's called uh, The Deep You Dig. You should check it. It's just a little family movie. Yeah. <laughs> We're just digging a new pool. It's so fitting, The Adams Family, isn't it, as a name as well, given given the TV show. It, it couldn't be, you know, it's beautiful. Da, 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 da. One thing I couldn't help noticing watching this film um, was how evocative the, the dialogue is. And it plays into the hands of the exploration we're going on with, with Izzy. I mean, to me, it was like, it's points. It's almost like lyrical. And one of the lines that I picked out was like, I went hunting for a laugh, but it was just a ghost, which that could be in a song, you know? It's like, it's sort of, it says so much with by saying so little. So can you talk about like, you know, if, if, if Toby's sort of leading point on it, but how do you, how are you developing these, these kinds of, you know, because it's about speaking for the character, isn't it? As much as it is about being beautiful words on the page. You know, often we'll we'll have just a very loose template we kind of use to jump into a scene. But then once we start acting the scenes, we really realize what it's about. I can't capture Zelda like Zelda can capture Zelda. I can't capture John. You know, so we might kind of, you know, just have this loose scene and it's more just a diving board. And then we plunge into the scene and realize, oh, this is what it's really about and this is what it should sound like. And we're all there to kind of be each other's bullshit monitors, too, and be like, that doesn't sound right even if it does come from your mouth you know i think also one of the things that we've learned since we have we like we started out making dramas and i think we had a tendency in our earlier movies to perhaps talk too much and i think we as we're growing as filmmakers we realize if we can boil down what we're trying to say into quicker sound bites like the one you just said like that says so much it could be Eight sentences explaining that, oh, I heard this girl's laugh in the woods, so I walked along the river, and then I also was in the pine forest, and blah, 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 blah. It's like we're trying to boil down what we're trying to say into quicker zingers. And that is an example, and it's so great that you picked that up, because that was an example of we thought a lot about that. We shot that scene maybe four times before we got it boiled down to as tight as we wanted it. And it got tight because of sentences like that. It's also fun when you leave room for interpretation. You know, audiences like aren't stupid. They can think about what's going on. And it's fun to let their mind like wander and be like, oh, you know, what does that mean? Oh, you know. 
we have the when Amber meets Izzy first first occasion, which is obviously two strangers meeting each other for the first time. But yet, you two are sisters, and you know each other really well. So how did you prepare yourselves for acting like you've never met before? You know, it was really interesting because when we were filming this, uh, as Lulu said before, we were actually social distancing. So there honestly was a level of awkwardness between us two because, you know, we couldn't necessarily get close to one another. Um, I was super cautious with COVID. Lulu was super cautious. So, you know, one of the first scenes with us together, I pull my chair away from her and I say, I can't get close to people. Mm. And she says, none of us can. That was just honestly very true. And what I was like exactly feeling, I was not trying to get COVID from Lulu. <laughs> not that she had it, but um, yeah, I, would hey, say, no <laughs> yeah, I, I would honestly say that a lot of our relationship was just us being ourselves in that film. Um, you know, Lulu's always been extremely um, extroverted and, you know, making me eat things I don't want to eat. So, <laughs> like worms. Actually, she's never done that, but <laughs> not yet. That's my next up one. <laughs> what was what was your thoughts on that scene, Lulu? Yeah, honestly, I felt like we were acting mostly like we do with each other. Like me getting Zelda to try weird things and kind of being like, eh, "Let me rough you around a little bit, make you uncomfortable," and Zelda being kind of like, "Okay," going along with it, or like, mm. and so. That felt very real, and it was kind of fun to explore that because that was also a bit more of our dynamic, I think, when we were a little bit younger. And that was kind of fun to go back into that role and almost make it our own, like act it out and kind of play ourselves a couple of years ago, especially, uh, and to explore pressuring Zelda and eating weird things again. But um, the pandemic did really help create that distance that did make it feel a little bit more awkward and we're genuine to our roles of having just met each other. And I hadn't seen her for months before then. So it was kind of perfect to just use the situation to ourselves. And we work so well together and we kind of understand each other's brains and how we work. So we could understand how our characters would work and can kind of advise each other on. I don't know if you'd say that, you know? Yeah. That was pretty easy going. Yeah. Cause I must admit when it went, it wasn't until the second time round that I sort of, I definitely, I felt like, God, that could have been said during COVID. You know, I wasn't thinking of the film as a COVID film, but then on the second watch of that sequence, you kind of go, that's been a bit like the lived experience anyway. Yeah. I mean, we didn't want to make a COVID film, but we did want to have some little knocks at COVID. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> especially since Izzy is in isolation, like her mom does keep her away from people. That's very, you know, pandemic related. Now, Toby, now I think we, we touched on some of this already in the in the in the in the four points we were talking about, but I just want to go back to like the, the mother character who is who is like, as she says, 147 years old. And I think when you've lived that long, it can make you fairly philosophical. But the, but there is a there is a real tragedy there within within Hellbender of a woman suppressing and forgetting who she is in the in the pursuit of trying to raise a daughter normal for what whatever whatever normal means. And I think you actually say something like just want to be a person. But this goes back to that manifest destiny thing, having other ideas for Izzy's future. That, and in that sense, then it just be, it be, it almost even though we're in a horror film and we understand what hellbenders are and the threat of it, it plays very much like a pure metaphor of mother daughter 
you know, daughter growing up, mother no longer being able to decide what the what the child does, or just simply parent-child relationship, not even not even as specific as mother-daughter. I mean, how how aware were you of that kind of that 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 happening? You know, it's happening at the same time. We've got we on the one hand, we've got a, an an old witch and a young witch sort of becoming <laughs> coming of age in the true sense, but actually, it is just a child becoming an adult. Yeah. We we really had fun with trying to um, create these par- to shine a light on parallels between um, what happens in humans, like human adolescents, human parents. It can also happen uh, for hellbenders. That life is difficult, whether you're a human or a hellbender. And uh, and the fun was was showing those very human um, experiences, but through a supernatural lens. It was it was fun. I mean. I think that that as a mother, I definitely related, and it was important for me to portray her desire to protect her daughter, even at the risk of her at the risk of her not fulfilling her destiny. Um, you know, there, and then there's something very sad about someone starving herself of her nature. The mother's been starving her nature or hiding it, you know, by going and sneaking maggots, you know, on the sly. That was kind of a little nod to something I used to do when I was younger and I used to smoke weed. I would, in fact, in that very same thing I held the maggots is something that I used to hide my weed in when the kids were little and I still liked smoking and I would go up and I'd take a little toke in my, you know, walk through nature. Um, so that was, and, and I was, and, and humans, parents tend to be hypocritical. You know, they'll often hide things that they don't want their children to do, but their children are going to do them no matter what. I mean, we as as parents are very um we're very open and clear about what we've done we'd rather talk about it than hide it but uh you can understand how this mother is trying to save her daughter from a very lonely violent uh legacy because it, to fulfill that destiny will be lonely it will be bloody you won't make a lot of friends because you might want to eat them yeah. <laughs> and so you can under you can understand and and we hope that the audience will come away. We love it when people say I was a real bitch and we love it when the other people will say no, but I understand. I sympathize. I understand why the mother wants to protect her daughter. Um so those were fun things to things to play with. And 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 just and and as a mother with two daughters, we always want to um you know, I think we're always playing with with what we're like, just squeezing them through a different glass. A warped glass, but 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 there's there's a lovely like um like tug of war that goes on like through the, like the arc of the film, which is at first the mother's got absolute control, and then obviously by the end of it, it's completely flips on its head, and the, and the Izzy's the one at the front at the front now leading the charge, even though you know she's not aged that much, but her realization of who she is has given her that in in independence of you yeah and i know i think that in life that it's i'm always fascinated by stories where the child becomes the parent you know um and we've we've addressed that in other films as well even our first film rumble strips the mother is about to go to prison and uh and she acts kind of like a child and her six and 11 year olds in many ways are more mature than the parent so i i think there's a little bit of that going on here too in the end where izzy can say to her shot hold up a mirror and say remember mother you were this too, or you are this. Let me see it. You're beautiful. Now, John, not to leave you out, you play like what I, I think I can I can safely describe as like a dorky rambler, really lost in lost in the woods. But it, but in in all that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> but but in a 
a way, though, in a way, you're you're playing with you're playing against type and the tropes of of horror films. You know, you've you've kind of transgressed the idea of usually the naive woman, you know, a, 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 that could be the victim of some predator, hidden or, or visible, and yet here he is, naive as hell, you know, lost in the woods, and then mother appears and leads him, you know, what he thinks is out of the woods, as it were, but no, but he's not getting out of the woods. Getting out, but just in a cloud of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. A, a wider question about the film: the hell, the hellbend, the hellbender provenance. How how did you nail all that down? Are you taking stuff from real folklore and and just embellishing it into your modern day story, or have you? Because there's some lovely turns, like the you know the whole how keys are, are obtained to get in the room, and you know the 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 use of the the I don't know what you call it, the wooden the wooden symbol that then becomes a blood symbol you know so we see it everywhere and it me obviously it has a meaning to a degree within your film but is this just your, the language of your film or is this the language of of a prophet of a, of a folklore that you that you you were you were using as as sort of source material we wanted to have a lot of fun with the magic of these hellbenders and we didn't want to we didn't want them to be vampires we didn't want them to be witches we wanted to invent our own little piece of magic and and the rituals and the architecture of that magic, we wanted to um, invent our own because it's fun. It's something that we enjoy doing over a dinner table or driving to soccer practice is talking about these kind of things. And um, um, I think the thing that really drove what we wanted to represent to the audience about their magic was that it's hidden magic. It's we all take walks in the wilderness and we see beautiful algae or mushrooms or pine trees swaying in the wind. And there's, we all feel inside of us, like there's magic to this that I don't know how to harness, but I can see that it's there. And what we wanted to show is that hellbenders have it in their DNA and it's gonna come out. And that's why we wanted the book. That's why we brought the book into the movie was to show that the book was like her DNA telling the young hellbender Here's your history. The mother's trying to hide that DNA from her up in the attic. Mm. But the DNA is calling the young hellbender to the attic. It, there's no way around it. She's going to get there. And she's going to know to put her hand on the door because it's in her DNA. And so it's like, and the other thing that we wanted to show about that was like, that the key's going to come out of her hand because it comes from, the truth comes from within. And you unlock everything from within. And the mother's been trying to hide that. And that's why we put all those keys on the table as you enter to show that the mother goes there often. The mother goes there relentlessly to that. I must admit, I thought that was a really nice detail. The multiple keys. Yes. Good. And, And it just shows how much truth has come from within. And the daughter brings her first key and sets it down, but there's no stopping it. There's by the end of, her life, there's going to be a pile of keys. And the other thing that we wanted to do was to show that that's why we put the pictures in there too, to kind of just let the audience know in some strange way that this has been going on. These, these hellbenders have been going to this attic for a long time, whether it's the attic of a castle or a pirate ship or whatever. So it's all about this interior thing that you just can't stop. What did you find was the, the sort of biggest storytelling challenges coming up with your own sort of 
fictitious history, as it were? Oh, that's a great question. That is a really good question. You know, for a while, we eventually, at one point, we were trying to decide what was real, what was the essence of their power. Mm. And that's when we came up with the idea that it's the fear. Because we thought if it's just blood to give them, you know, energy to fly, then it sounds, you know, that's not quite original enough. We really got wanted to get down to the nitty gritty. And we thought, well, it's the fear. Mm. It's the fear inside the blood. Historically, the fear of, of women, of witches. And, and what did they fear? They feared the power. Um, and so we thought, well, let's use that fear against them. The, the hellbenders, like, if you're going to be, a, if you're going to be frightened of us, we're going to devour your fear. We're going to consume it. We're going to eat exactly, you know, you give us power with your fear. Right. So we'll, we'll consume that. Um, yeah. We ran yeah. into some storytelling ideas. We did solve just by what Toby said. Originally, they were going to get their power from eating babies because Toby had done a lot of research on ancient, powerful, kind of mythological mm. magic women. Yeah. And a lot of them ate babies. And that, and that, was, and that was at the centre of Robert Eggers' film, The Witch. You know, that was the, the ground, yeah. the, ground, go, the, ground right. the, the ground the babies up. So cool. And yeah. we, though, were like, actually, we even filmed some baby-eating stuff. And we got home, we edited it, we put it together, and we like, oh, my God, this sucks. <laughs> we yeah. are going to so get bad. laughed right out. Out of the theater if we do this. And so we realized, okay, you know what? We have to figure out what storytelling and and really boil it down to the pebble, not the boulder. Let's not make the boulder. Let's make the pebble. And and so that's why storytelling-wise, we really had to rethink that. No, because I I think that's one of the things watching it is that you don't ever, there's not you don't lecture us on what it is. You don't give us a kind of expert that comes on at the side and goes, hellbenders are, you know, we, we, we get enough and we can, as the audience, we can fill in the blanks. And I thought just that simple explanation about the kind of ascending levels of, if you eat this insect or animal, you know, the, basically the bigger it is, the more you get, the more fear you're going to consume, the, the more powerful you get. That just was such a simple concept to understand. And then the rest of it is about the, almost like the human condition side of it, which is, a mother losing control of her daughter, which just so happens to be a hellbender as well. Well, that that scene that you're that you're mentioning actually was us again trying to keep up with nature. We were in Oregon camping with Lulu, and we were in this beautiful forest that was covered with moss. Hmm. And we 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 knew we had to film there, and we filmed one scene there, and really liked it, and then realized, oh we could explain what a hellbender is without explaining it by, by mixing reality and the dream together mm. so that a lot of truth could be told in a vision because it's a lot more like with hellbenders, it would be easier to tell the truth in a vision than it would be in reality because the mother would never tell the kid what a hellbender is. So that's, that was really fun to do. And that was informed by the fact that we were camping out right in that forest that was kept saying, film me. And we filmed it. And then she said, you can film me more. <laughs> I'm ready. And we did, you know, we were just trying to keep up with that beautiful forest. I mean, after, after uh, the DP dig being a very, very cold film, because there was snow on the ground, I think for the entire film, wasn't it? There was never, there was never any of it that was, <clears throat> it was such a contrast just, just holding those two films together, even though there are still snowy scenes in, in, in your new film. Um, and just 
seeing seeing that sort of flora and fauna in sort of full bloom, like you said, you know, the, the kind of moss covered rocks and the, the vividness of the greens and the and the earthiness of the browns, um, it, you know, positively beguiling, you know, almost like your lyrical dialogue and then this beguiling nature that you're giving us. It almost it doesn't feel threatening at all until obviously Mother and Izzy start to have conversations and eat pine cones and uh, and and get great get highs off a off a off a, a cup full of maggots. Um, and suddenly you begin to look at nature slightly differently. But I did think though that the and just an observation really about the story. It was like I felt like what we were looking at with with the kind of everything in full bloom, as it were you know, nature really going for it before before the fall comes and takes it all away from it again, is again a mirror of Izzy's personal development in the sense that she's, you know, she's there, you know, that she just just needs to... And then her instinct is, like you said, it doesn't need explanation on mother to tell her what to do. Her instinct is then driving her, which I guess is the kind of hellbender equivalent of the folly of youth, which is we all, you know, we're all susceptible to our own idiot, idiot decisions. <laughs> Stuart, you just you just proved that you've been sitting with us at our table as we make our movie <laughs> Zelda, right? Did yeah, you exactly, just not yeah. put in the words? <clears throat> so Zelda can Zelda and I love doing the camera work together and the cinematography. And one of the first things that threw us off was when we came home with our first bit of footage that it was shot in summer and it was beautiful. And it felt happy and vibrant and emotionally stable, mm. as opposed to when we had shot The Deep You Dig, it was harsh and brutal and sad looking. And immediately, Zelda and I looked at each other and we were like, this sucks. This <laughs> is way too happy. Like, this is not scary. This is not a horror movie. Right? It was See? actually like a big learning curve having to work with color and saturation in our film. It was a challenge at first but I think as we got used to it it really aided the storyline because like nature and just like the color of nature was so rich and I, I just think it was fantastic in the long run yeah and then it fed into the story and made the story because it isn't it, this is not the deeper you dig this is not a brutal sad movie it's a brutal movie but it's a fun brutal movie mm -hmm. and the vibrancy of nature really played into that. And we fell in love with it. Yeah. But about, I would even go as far as to say, I mean, it's a tragedy for the mother, but, but, it, but, it, but a bit like The Witch, it's a hopeful film for Izzy. It's in a way, because when we start the film, she's, she's content with the life she's living. But the moment <laughs> she meets Amber, it compounds what she already understands, which is, I'm missing out something. And, and at the first, she just thinks that's other people's company. <laughs> Little does she know, as it were, as the film transpires. But yes, I, I like. I mean, there's as much as you know, it's a violent future maybe for her. But it, to me, it felt like there was it was hope when you think of where she starts. I mean, it's it's an anti heroic hope, but but hope nonetheless. One hundred percent, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, look, guys, I'm sure that I could talk to you for hours and hours, but then I've got to post produce that into a podcast after. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to draw things to a close and say that Hellbender is available on Shudder from the 24th of February and my dad's 76th birthday, which is a great day. Happy birthday! 
Yeah. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you so much. We love love listening to your podcast and we just are honored that we get to be on it because you're just wonderful to talk to. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.